Welcome to the Filmed Live Musicals Podcast, a podcast about stage musicals that have been legally filmed and publicly distributed. The Filmed Live Musicals website contains information on nearly 200 musicals that have been captured live. Check it out at filmedlivemusicals.com. And now, on with the show. Welcome to episode 25 of the Filmed Live Musicals podcast. I'm your host, Louisa Lyons, and joining me today are Sarah Ellis and Greg Camp, the founders of MT Shorts. Do I, Have you ever do known an artist I, who has lots of good ideas, I, but they don't make do a lot of money, so they I, have to get jobs at places Swedish like Ikea's, assembling under, furniture under, instead of their dreams, what? because making I, loads I, of I, money isn't as easy as it seems. Yep. Well, thank God for Greg and Sarah boldly starting a brand new era, giving the world a new golden age of musicals, but they're not on stage. A combination of musical theater and short films, MT Shorts aims to make new work available to a wide audience. Welcome, Sarah and Greg. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So to start off with, what made you fall in love with musical theater? Oh, wow. This is a great question. I'm going to, I'm going to go first, Greg. (laughs) Um, I, my parents are both band directors and my brother is an oboist. And I quickly learned that uh, playing clarinet and the cello was not something that was for me. (laughs) I was like, I don't want to be in the pit for these things. I want to be on the stage. And I think I've always just loved music, specifically opera. And opera was kind of my entry point into musical theater. Hmm. So I studied classical, you know, I, I studied in a very classical format up until I did a summer performing show called Kids from Wisconsin. And they have like 10 guys and 10 girls from around the state. And you perform, it's basically like show choir amplified like to the nth degree. And I was like, ooh, I like singing and dancing and doing all these things together. And then I just literally Googled best musical theater schools in the country. And then I created a roadmap and said, parents, this is how we're going to, I would like to do this. And I auditioned for a bunch of schools and then I went to Penn State and then the rest is history. <laughs> oh, that is Literally impressive. Did <laughs> I didn't know who Bernadette Peters was when I went to school. That is how little I knew about musical theater. <laughs> and yet you knew to do your research and make a plan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is impressive. Not what I did. I was like, hmm, I want to do this thing and like la-di-da floated along. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm very impressed you had a roadmap. That's awesome. How about you, Greg? Yeah, I mean, my earliest memory of musical theater, I was five years old doing a production of Peter Pan. And uh, I always remember being totally freaked out backstage when Captain Hook would remove his prop hand and place it on the prop table. So I think, I think for me with musicals, it's really just like that access point of storytelling was the most, was the thing that spoke to me most. Like I I could just connect with that um, element the most. And I think, 
you know, growing up in the nineties, like a Disney kid and the golden age of musical movies was just something that has like immersed and like soaked in my veins. Um, and as a, as a big reason why I think we started empty shorts is, um, that sort of like upbringing and accessibility to, to storytelling in a fantastical way. Mm, so perfect segue. I know you both have extensive performing backgrounds, but what led you to create Empty Shorts? Well, Sarah and I, it was sort of birthed out of this uh, recognition that we had all of these incredibly talented friends, um, specifically writers who were doing this incredible work, but just having a difficult time um, getting it seen on a larger scale. And we had brainstormed some ideas as to a solution to that. We, you know, thrown around a concert series and this, that, and the other. And, and I kindly shot Sarah down. And um, I said, I think, you know, with these concerts, the, the given formula right now is like a writer creates, you know, uh, a treasure a chest of songs and then goes to perform them at 54 below. And there's nothing wrong with 54 below. It's an amazing venue. It's, it's fantastic, but you know, it's a crap ton of work to put together this one night show that's fleeting and you have to, you know, beg, steal and borrow your friends to come and pay a cover charge and then a food and drink minimum. And then, for these writers and performers and everyone involved, you know, after the one night, the best thing they sort of walk away with is, you know, a YouTube video where the wait staff is walking in front of the camera or God bless them. The performers, you know, don't know the words or the music correctly. And so we wanted to come up with a way to, to showcase the work on a more substantial scale that was more um, in alignment with what they were actually producing. Mm-hmm. You talk a lot about in your your promo materials about this like uh, resurgence of interest in in filmed musicals. What do you think is driving that? Well, I think Greg touched on it a little bit. I think that the ticket buyers, the people who are investing in in theater and time in theater right now, grew up with these Disney musicals and grew up watching animated musicals as like part of just how we communicated and expressed ourselves. Um, so now that we are getting to this age of, you know, we're the demographic that, you know, people are kind of starting to pander to, I guess. I think that is what is really exciting. I think that is exciting us. And we're very drawn to that familiar feeling of understanding how that, uh, that art form is, is expressed. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. What do you think of the, like, there's a new hybrid that's kind of arisen. It existed before the pandemic, but it's become more prevalent since the pandemic of this like hybrid of theater and film. And I'm thinking of like, um, like Hope Mill Theater did um, Evita and Rent, where it was like filmed inside the theater, but it was created as a film rather than just filming a stage show. Mm. Yeah, I think I think while well, the pandemic has forced everyone to rethink how we view and experience these things, um, 
I want to watch this production. You said Hope Bell? It's Unfortunately, it's not available in the US. There's uh, YouTube footage, like there's um, reels and like, what's the word I'm looking for? Promo video kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But they looked mm-hmm. gorgeous and they got rave reviews. And they were these like, it was intentionally filmed in and around the, the theater. To, so mm-hmm. it, it looked like a film, but it was still the stage show. Mm-hmm. And Jackson Lambert also did similar, like on site, all all in the UK. Um, I think some of their stuff mm-hmm. is available on Broadway HD. Uh, their production of Brooklyn is cool. available on Broadway HD. Mm-hmm. This really beautiful, yeah. like concert movie film theater hybrid. I think it's awesome. I mean, I think creation in all its forms is super exciting, and I think. You know, again, the reason why we started Empty Shorts and what's so exciting about um, the further blending of technology and live, you know, performance is accessibility. And, you know, five years ago, two years ago, I I wouldn't have heard about a show of Rent in the UK that was, you know, like that just wouldn't have been in my purview. But now... I think people are more willing and um, more excited about the possibility of experiencing art in all its types of forms. And Mm. um, I think that's why, you know, MT Shorts has been received so well is because, you know, there's not a whole lot of opportunity for people to make musical films um, specifically. And I know we're talking about a couple different things here, but specifically filmed for film purposes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very small group of people who are given the privilege and opportunity to write for films. Like unless, you know, you're Patsick and Paul or Lin-Manuel Miranda or, you know, um, Bobby Lopez, like you're not really given that opportunity. So again, I think, sort of meeting people where they are and giving both the artists and the audience that sort of entry point to explore and to um, develop and to become familiar with things beyond just like the everyday, you know, vernacular um, is really exciting. It is super exciting. Any sense just that. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. Perfect sense. I want to jump to some of your short films uh, was Hey Beautiful the first? Yeah. The, uh, a short about uh, calling out catcalling? Mm-hmm. What was yeah. the, what led to the creation of, of Hey Beautiful? Well, this was a kind of, Hey Beautiful was kind of like the test run for MT Shorts. We kind of had this idea and then ran it by a few friends and Hey, Beautiful was pitched to us by my friend, Nat Zagree. And it kind of came, It was, this never happens. It came kind of like prepackaged. Uh, so they had recorded this uh, song, this one-off song already, him and his writing partner, Eric Holmes. And they had a director, Kenneth Farone, um, who has done, you know, a lot of stuff, musicals on film. He um, is a producer and associate for NBC, worked on Smash and Grease Live. And so he understood um, this, uh, this medium already pretty well. 
And they were like, Kenneth has already signed on to direct. What do you think about, you know, making this with us? And we were like, this sounds amazing. So it's so funny because it really is. We talk about this all the time. Greg and I are like, you don't know what you don't know, right? <laughs> so Greg and I are like, of course we'll, we'll do this. Like, we'll figure it out, you know? And so we had our first meeting I remember uh, at the Citizen M upstairs and Kenneth like brings a full like treatment of the piece and everything. And Greg and I are like, cool. Yeah, we could, but let's, uh, okay, great. Like it's just, it was this like, just yes. And, and it was just kind of snowballed into something amazing. We just got so lucky. And then we just started pulling people together and taking meetings with lots of different people who had already kind of st- started putting their feet in the the film space and were, were rooted in theater and musical theater, a lot of them. And um, yeah, we, we put together the whole thing in a month. It was crazy. Like we created a crowdfunding campaign. We put, brought everyone in. We used this book called, uh, is it producer to producer, Greg? And it literally became our Bible, like the in, like the indie low budget filmmaking guide, basically. And um, we just kind of followed it to a T <laughs> as much as we could. And um, then we shot it in June uh, over two days and got all of our friends to come play with us and convince them it would be a raucously good time. We all got sunburned and that was, hey, beautiful. It really just kind of like, we just, we had the gumption and put a date on the calendar and we were like, well, it's got to happen. So we're going to do it. That's- and that's kind of so much of how MT Shorts was born. It was like, we have this idea. Now we need a proof of concept. And hey, beautiful was this proof of concept. Mm-hmm. Is that right, Greg? I think yeah. And I, I would just say with that film and with all of our projects since then, I think what's so exciting and so thrilling is that you know, theater makers are just exceptional storytellers and like exceptionally visual. And so it's, it's a really natural crossover where like they'll just come and you take away the sort of like four walls of a theater and just to see people like just step into that expansiveness and sort of like dream. And then being able to bring someone in to sort of translate that into like a cinematic language. Um, it's just really exciting. And, and Hey Beautiful came out of this, um, this recognition that uh, it was right around the time of the Me Too movement. And there was this great viral YouTube video that was posted. It was like a day walking around in New York city where this, this woman um, had a hidden camera on her person and was just walking around buying her business her normal day in New York city. And just like the bombardment of cat calls and comments that came flooding to- towards her. was just absurd. And um, we even experienced it while we were filming on the streets of New York, just like the comments from, from you guys. So to be uh, being able to, you know, take that simple of a story. It's not simple, but that, you know, compact of a, a story idea and being able to like breathe it into this like musicalized, almost comedic take that can be shared um, 
near and far was a really awesome accomplishment for everyone involved um, that, you know, I don't think we would have been able to do that type of storytelling on stage. So um, again, it was sort of like opportunity meeting the moment um, that made that one super special. I really mm-hmm. loved at the opening of that piece, all the texting and that the convention that in a musical that people just sing and it, the fact that it was done as almost voiceover and that it was uh the visuals of the text with the audio of the musical, but the actors weren't actually singing the words out loud. I thought it was really refreshing and like it shows what can be done with combining stage and and screen. Yeah. That's that was that's the most fun for us is to that like what I was talking about, this playground just emerges for us because we don't need the opening number to, you know, have a bunch of exposition to kind of say, all we have to do is flash a bunch of images on the screen and people understand. So that has been really fun for us. And that's the beauty of short form anything, right? Is how quickly can we get to the meat and potatoes of the story and tell a beginning, middle and end in a condensed amount of time. So with film, it's been so fun for us to play with how we how we explore that. And specifically like VFX, like the, the possibilities are endless. Like we can do anything it's so cool whereas it's very strict in theater so long as we have the budget for it we (laughs) and ask ask the right favors right or someone who's really good at uh final cut pro (laughs) who's who's willing to work for a budget (laughs) so speaking of a playground i i want to jump over to jump uh set at summer camp which i as a former camp counselor i found utterly delightful and can you tell us about the process of working with the, um, was it the Atlanta repertory? The Atlanta workshop, uh, Atlanta workshop players. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which is a, a summer camp that I actually grew up going to and they approached us with the idea of coming down. They've, um, built this like amazing film conservatory. They actually were just at Cannes or Cannes, Cannes film festival. Um, I should know that. Um, <laughs> we'll edit that out. <laughs> You're going to be there one day. <laughs> yeah. Figure it out. <laughs> and they built this incredible like film conservatory. And so when we started MT Shorts, they reached out and um, were curious about us coming down and developing a piece with their students. And it was just like, the most synchronistic, beautiful experience. Um, and we worked with their students about finding what story was important for them to tell. And um, we took that inspiration and we paired it with this um, amazing um, composer and book writer, Andy Roninson, who had to work under you know a bunch of different limitations just based off the nature of the project, it had to feature, you know, a huge ensemble of characters. It had to be set within the, you know, boundaries of the camp. Um, so it was, it offered kind of like a cool, um, cool parameter in which for us to, to play in. Um, and we went down to Atlanta or I went down and we, I think we only shot for like 
four days, like an hour at a time each day. Um, I recorded all of their vocals in a barn, literal barn. Um, <laughs> and uh, so we'd shoot it during the day and then Don Stallings, who's also the DP, he and I would edit it at night and send it off to Andy, who'd add some underscoring and like within a week's time, the film was done, um, which was just awesome and crazy. But it was a really special project to be able to to work with those students who just had so, so much to, to offer and to bring to the table. And um, yeah. Yeah, it was all based off of the Eleanor Roosevelt quote, um, do one thing every day that scares you, right? Is that the quote? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Andy brought this beautiful perspective to the table because when he uh he would I think it was he would play for a bunch of um auditions for uh kids at a musical theater program in New York. And these juries, these kids would they would be like, just be yourself, just be yourself. That would be the feedback. And one kid said something extremely insightful. She was like, I can't be myself because I'm young and I don't know who I am yet. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yes, truth, right? So that was a, a big part of how we explore, like, what the subjects that these kids wanted to talk about, you know, body image, um, stage fright, um, you know. Crushes. Taking a chance, you know. Yeah, crushes, all that kind of stuff. Um, so that was really cool for us, you know, as as adults who still are figuring it out, Right to explore and um and greg directed the film he did greg was obviously very much a part of this this experience and um i think he did a great job it was awesome the fact that he recorded vocals in a barn is still just like i don't know how i don't know very impressive it sounds amazing and it's so touching knowing that these stories come from the kids themselves that it's something that's like very close to their hearts and for them to be able to express it and to find an artistic way of expressing those feelings and those emotions and um, those fears as well. And being so brave to not only share them, but to like be on camera with them. Totally. Yeah. They were so gracious and incredible. And, you know, again, it was this new experience for them doing musicals on film. So just that discovery part of it. And um, it was a really unique and, and special experience. I'm so grateful that they asked us to do it. And I hope they ask us to do it again so that we can go to Cannes or Cannes. <laughs> <laughs> and also back to summer camp. <laughs> exactly. back yes, back to the barn. <laughs> um Still here, directed by Kay uh, Tuckerman, fellow Aussie. Uh, is that, I couldn't find it. It's not available anymore or it hasn't been released yet? It has not been released yet. Okay. So, yeah, you're not, you're not missing out. Um, <laughs> we, uh, yeah, this is a project that we filmed pre-pandemic. Um, it was our most ambitious um, in terms of scale that we've tackled. Um, a beautiful score written by um, Ben Roseberry and Chip Close. Um, we had an incredible, incredible company of actors 
led by Nate Stampley and Lana Gordon. We filmed all over New York City. Um, yeah, it's I can't wait for people to see it, especially after the, the last year and a half that we've had, because I think it's going to really, really move people. Um, Do you have yeah, a release date yet? We don't have it yet. We're actually still in post. Mm. Um, you know, we, we have, we had to bring in a lot of people and do things remote. Um, so it's just taken a little longer because of the pandemic and people are scrambling to, they're all, I mean, we work with artists who are still, everyone's trying to get back on their feet right now. So, um, we've been giving ourselves a little bit of grace in the post-production journey. Um, so, which is great because it's then allowed us to revisit things and look at things again and take a little more like tender, tender approach to the piece, which has been, because it is, it's a piece about grief and, um, and moving on, uh, moving forward with grief, uh, when you feels like you've been left behind. So, um, it has like it, the three incredibly poignant and beautiful songs and we should, we can share one with you. I mean, I watch it, we take breaks from the piece, obviously, and then come back to it. And every time I watch it, I get emotional. It's, it's a very, I'm very proud of our, what we've done with it. And um, yeah, hopefully 20, you know, late 2021, early 2022, that's like the goal right now, but no solid date yet. And that's, that's the other thing that we've been trying to sort of juggle is to give the piece breath to live, not in a cloud of, you know, elections and pandemics. And, um, you know, we, a lot of what we like to do with our pieces is to also reintroduce that live element um, by uh, accompanying the release with a live concert that further explores the, the composer's songbooks. So we want to be able to afford still hear this mammoth of a project that same opportunity and so given the nature of the last year and a half that's something that's also been on our mind is waiting for things to return so that we can gather in person to experience this film to celebrate it together um, and to see it on a, a large screen will those yeah. live going forward will the live concerts be uh, streamed or recorded most likely, yeah. I mean, now that we've seen that there are so many, there is a, an enthusiasm for recorded and live, recorded live productions, for sure. Um, yeah, yeah, mm. definitely. That is very exciting to me. <laughs> 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 but you weren't exactly resting on your laurels during the pandemic. You also created a high school Zoomsicle. 
which an utter musical theater nerd's delight (laughs) (laughs) with Ryan Redmond, Alan Wiggins, and Kay Brown. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I would love to. Go for it. That's all you. Well, (laughs) um, yeah, at the beginning of the pandemic, um, you know, Sarah kept saying like, we gotta, we gotta do something. We gotta like, <laughs> gotta make something. We just we gotta do it. And I was like, okay, Sarah, like we're not gonna just do something for the sake of doing it. Like, let's just That's like take this dark. time. <laughs> let's 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 finish this one film that we just got done. Like, let's just take a, a, a moment. And I was doing a big car drive, and all of a sudden, this like idea popped into my head for this film that was all done on um, the user's desktop. So it's all two dimensional, but um, the main conceit being that a high school reunion is canceled due to the pandemic, but rescheduled over Zoom and what that looks like. And so I called Sarah up and I was like, screw it, I figured it out. I, I have an idea. I'm not exactly sure how to do it yet. I'll, I'll call you back in five minutes. And so I hung up and lived with it for a minute and called her back. I was like, all right, we've, I've figured it out. It's all going to be sent on a computer. Here's what happens. Now we need Jessica Ryan, who is this amazing director in New York, who um, I think you've had on your podcast before. Broadway Unlocked, yes. And <laughs> Broadway Unlocked's Jessica Ryan, um, who is just like a, a tech genius and there was no way that we were going to be able to do this project without her. So she was the second phone call um, we made just begging her to yeah. come on board to make this film. <laughs> and as soon as she said, yes, um, we, we came up with this um, internal, uh, internal check system because it was at, during such a dark period of time, we just wanted to bring together the people we love most to make something that was going to make us joyful each and every time that we sat down to work on it. So we came up with this internal checks and balance systems. Every time we started talking about bringing someone in, we'd ask, are they a homie? Meaning like, would you call them a homie? Would you sit down and like be able to have a beer with them and like laugh and smile? And so uh, we recruited Jess. She's definitely a homie. And then my friend who I worked with for many years, Drew Fornarola, was like the ultimate homie who's a brilliant, hilarious um, composer and and, uh, playwright. Um, and he came in and took this this idea that was um, formed and sort of like built a world around it. And then it just like spiraled into that. We just kept like recruiting homies. Ryan Redmond um, is a friend that I grew up with. Um, Alan is a friend of Sarah's. Kay is Sarah's best friend. We just like kept bringing in all of these amazing magical humans to create something totally wild and goofy that we just with the hope that it would provide some levity uh, to the moment after it was mm-hmm. all said and done. Um, Granted, this was also back when zoom was like 
especially for performers, we were like, what is this Zoom thing? <laughs> like this was this, you know, Broadway shut down in March. We shot this in May. Mm. Um, so people were still kind of figuring out how to work it. And it was like, you know, instructions. And we actually recorded all of our vocals on Zencaster. So and this is before Zencaster had these the video. The, yeah. The video <laughs> so this is like Zencaster, like point, you know, like 1.0 or yeah. something. It was amazing. And um, we like passed around mics. We had everyone sanitize mics and then send them off. We had a courier service, deliver them to the next person. So we had like some sort of semblance of you know, similar, similar, like, um, levels, vocals and, yeah. and levels and everything. Uh, and we had an amazing music director, Jeremy Robin Lyons, who literally just figured out Zencaster on the fly and learned how to use logic and mix everything. And again, hashtag homie status that just was like, yep, I'll figure it out. We got it. Um, and yeah. And, and Jess was really, like Greg said, integral to uh, helping us to understand how we were going to make, <laughs> put all these pieces into place online. And I'm just going to shout us out because I think it's really funny. Zoom honorably mentioned us in their 2020 Zoomtopia Innovation Awards for yes. creatively repurposing Zoom as a film set because we it was actually great because we would put people in breakout rooms and be like, just hang out, get on your phone. Well, like, you know, we, I'd be like, all right, your spotlight, like we can see your feet. Can you move? Like, it's just like, like come back in. We're going to shoot you now. And we had 50 of our friends show up. They said, yes. They were like, yeah, we'll play over two days over zoom. And yeah, it was, it was a blast. And it almost, I was, I said this on another podcast that we were, we were on, it was like, it felt like it was real. Like it felt like we were actually in person. The energy was there that people brought themselves so wholeheartedly to the piece because they were hashtag homies and they were ready to play that it felt like we were almost in person. It was the closest thing. And we all needed it. It was, uh, it was a, like Greg said, it was a really dark time. I mean, Ryan was playing Olaf in Frozen. Our choreographer, Kate Bailey, was in Frozen. We had a lot of friends who lost him, like a lot of employment and Frozen had just gotten their closing notice like the week before we started filming. So it came at a time where I think we all needed just to laugh and be a little silly, you know? And that joy comes through in the film and remembering how difficult that time was I actually ushered out Frozen and so the like when it closed and the new cast had just come in like I think they were like a week into their the run that the new the originals had left and it was the new cast and it was devastating when we got the closing notice it was just like mm -hmm. oh and I, I still miss it I still when I see like Frozen advertised somewhere or like I hear the music I'm like mm. <laughs> I, I miss it I miss Arendelle it was just such a charming show and like seeing so many kids have their first theater experience there it was like it was very special um and so oh. knowing the context of that's when you were filming this piece and you can see the joy in there's a shot toward the end uh 
where everyone's like looking surprised. Um, I forget what moment it is, but that like it, it rapidly goes through the different zoom boxes, everyone's reaction shots. And it's so real. Like it's like, it, it feels so genuine and it's, that's what's so joyful about it. And there's so much footage that we captured that oh did not make it in the final cut because the story is so loaded with, with elements of, of storytelling. Um, that we keep joking and keep promising that we, we're going to cut together different versions of the film to just like showcase these incredible people who came together and just like produced brilliance in their living rooms over video conference. Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah, it was bit it was really after bit time. after bit after bit. Just like, and of course, Jess Ryan is the queen of bits. So we were like, all right, this is the group that's going to do a dead drop. Everyone's just going to fall out of screen. This is the group that is going to do a home tour. Okay, because you know people were giving those home tours. This is the group that everyone has their pets, and they're showing everyone their <laughs> pandemic puppies during. Like, we this is the group with it. their babies. <laughs> yes, exactly. We have babies. Yes, exactly. So that <laughs> and that's 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 we have a um, the viewers can't see, but I'm wearing a shirt with a llama on it because there's this <laughs> joke that's gone entirely too far. Yes. Um, Sarah just celebrated her her birthday and I adopted a llama for her but <laughs> it appears in the, I'm proud it appears in the I, I promise I promise this has to do with musicals on film um <laughs> it appears in high school zoomsical because we were collecting all of these like strange things these like phenomenons that were happening at the beginning of the pandemic like you know the people sh- showing their house tours and everything but one thing that we came across was that people were hiring llamas to Zoom bomb their corporate meetings. And so we were like, okay, there's going to be a llama in high school Zoomsicle. It just has to happen. And then it became the mascot to the, the school, which we called Rydell High, totally on purpose. Um, <laughs> wink, yeah. wink, nudge, nudge. So, <laughs> um. Speaking yeah, of, they just announced a prequel I, I, for Greece. <laughs> I love Very it. Very excited. <laughs> well, I think uh, llamas perfectly go with musicals. Um, Emperor's New Groove saved the drama for the llama. Exactly. It's, it's, exactly. it's very, it's perfect. <laughs> I noticed uh, that there was a SAG after um, like credit in, in the, um, I was going to say post-show notes. <laughs> in podcast mode, in the credits. Um, what what trouble or what what did you find navigating using equity actors under a SAG contract or uh, navigating that field? Um, there really wasn't a whole lot of trouble. I mean, um, two of the four films that we've shot were under union status. Um, And the only reason why the other two weren't is because we were, one of them, we were just working with performers who none of whom were um, affiliated with SAG-AFTRA. And another one was because um, its home base was located in Georgia, which is like a right to work state. So technically Mm. we didn't didn't have to to, uh, file. So, yeah, I don't know that we 
we came into too too many difficulties. I mean, it, it certainly adds a layer of just logistics and planning. Um, you know, with any you know, talent representation, they're obviously there to protect their people, and rightfully so. Um, so, you know, when plotting and planning your schedule, you have to keep that sort of thing in mind. And then there's, you know, certain protections that go on behind the scene in terms of, you know, licenses and insurance and whatnot that is super boring and things that we as producers sort of have to tackle. But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you know, I don't know that one way or another in terms of like the product or the types of people that we've attracted to work on the films that it's, it's tilted the scale like one way or another. Well, it's certainly different. Um, being, I mean, we're Greg and I are both equity actors and, uh, the SAG after union, that union is extremely strict. So we, and of course, because we're not always contained in a theater, the hazard, you know, the obstacles go up. So we have to make sure that we're protecting our people on set. And there are just so many contracts and forms and, you know, you don't, you always the time in time out sheet, stuff like that. There's just a lot of stuff, a lot of logistics to, to do, which was all new to us. Again, Greg and I, what we didn't know, you know, we didn't know. So we got an amazing line producer, our friend, Lauren Bambino went on Hey Beautiful, who kind of taught us the ropes and, what we needed to do. And she helped us out so much to learn how to stay organized. Mostly it's just mostly staying extremely organized (laughs) to take care of everyone. Um, And then it was for us, like, you know, we had to get insurance and we had to do all these things that we'd never done before. Um, And it was like me, like Facebook grouping and like New York women filmmakers being like, Hey, I'm, I'm a new filmmaker. How do we do this? And the community just showing up for us. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of, it was a big learning curve at first, but now that we know what we're doing, it's not, it's not as bad, but it's definitely like, it's a lot, it's a lot of hoops to jump through for sure. Yeah. With that in mind for writers or performers who are hesitant to put any work on screen, whether they're filming it live or doing what you're doing and creating a film out of it, what would you say to those people who are still hesitant? Um, ask, ask for help. Just reach out and ask for help. I, I think there is nothing wrong with that. And there are, especially during the pandemic, there are a wealth of resources available now. You can Google anything to figure out how to do pretty much anything these days, I feel like. And um, producer to producer, that book was, I think, a huge part of our success, debunking some of the things that, you know, I would be on like chat rooms and be like, wait, someone says this, but someone else says this, someone says this, just get producer to producer. <laughs> That's my my quick answer. <laughs> I'd also just say that there's, there's a wealth of people like waiting to discover you that, you know, if you have the gift of storytelling, like, you know, it's, it's partially, it's not partially, it's in large parts, your responsibility to, to share that gift with people. And while it may be different from what, you know, 
whether it be theater or different mediums, like it's, it's a great opportunity again to reach people where they are and to find a whole new audience um, to enjoy your, your gift of storytelling. Absolutely. And that audience is right around the world. It's, it's not just in the US. It's not just the UK. There's, there's people all around the world who are craving musical theater content. Absolutely. Um, we all need to keep our eyes and ears out for still here. But what, what is next on the horizon for MT Shorts? Well, we've, we have, during the pandemic, talked with a lot of different companies and people. And um, we're kind of in the phase of like deciding what our next project is going to be. Um, we started working on a web series. We ch started chatting with someone about making content. We, we've we've kind of just been taking meetings and kind of trying to see what our next collaboration is going to be. Would you agree, Craig? Yeah, I think our focus right now is definitely um, finishing still here and sharing that with the world, um, and then being open to to what comes next. I think that's partially been the beauty of us starting this company together is, is nothing, everything has felt very organic and has sort of like presented itself at the, the exact right time. Um, and so I look forward to that sort of like slapping me in the face whenever it decides to <laughs> reveal itself. And if I slap Greg in the face with it, that could also <laughs> On a long car drive, it will just jump out at you. <laughs> Precisely. It usually does. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I have a series of questions that I ask all my guests. I'll let you find amongst yourselves who it goes first. Don't need to think about it too much, whatever. Uh, there are no wrong answers, <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. Uh, what is your favorite musical? The Secret Garden. <laughs> Always. Sunday in the Park with George or Rent. Interesting uh, dichotomic opposite choices there. <laughs> Couldn't I think know. how to say Which that word. Makes us so, I think that's what makes us so interesting as producers because our tastes are very different. Mm. So it's nice. It's good that we, we get in fights a lot, but like great creative fights because the, the best thing emerges, I think. Did you see the, um, uh, what was it called? the rehearsed uh, workshop reading of Secret Garden that aired a few months, maybe a month or two ago. I did not. It was so not. cool. It was so beautiful. Who needs a Me set? Who, who needs a full production when, like, it was so cool. Uh, do you have a favorite filmed live musical? Hmm. I thought Chicago was done so well. The movie version? Not filmed live, Sarah. That's, that's, oh, that's a movie live. Yeah. Oh, oh, company, company. Mm, which version? Uh, Patty LuPone. I mean, obviously, my parents are band directors, so, like, <laughs> I need to see these actors play instruments. Is Was it John Doyle? Oh, the, um, yes, the 2001, I think. No, later than that. 2007 that. with um, Raul Esparza. Is yes. that the one you're thinking of? Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. I love company too. <laughs> oh. Greg is looking really pained for listeners. <laughs> you can't see his face right now. <laughs> Maybe I'll go with um, an American in Paris because the show is like so 
just its scale was like so cinematic in nature. And I loved how they incorporated like a bunch of the camera movements to help like articulate that. It felt like a yes and sort of situation, um, putting it on film. Mm, Such a gorgeous capture. Loved that one. A filmed live musical is not exactly theater and it's not, not exactly a film. So what should we call it? (laughs) I wish I, I sometimes wish I did this as a video because your faces are priceless. (laughs) Filmed live. Yeah. Um, Oh my gosh. What should we call it? Yeah, I know. This is a brilliant. Um, um, let's see. I feel like it needs to be like a film, like a, some, like a film, a filmical. <laughs> <laughs> Something. A live filmical. Uh, I got nothing. It's I'm okay. Really tra- I'm this really is, searching. It's the bane of my I'm life. Grasping. I've been reading and writing about this stuff for like, what are we almost 10 years and it's it is the bane of my life what do we call this thing uh where do you stand on bootlegs no i do not like them i think that's disrespectful to the performers i think people have paid a lot of money to get this experience all together and you are taking that away from that one night moment and then it becomes a inevitably these bootlegs become some sort of way to compare other performances, which I think is just the thief comparison is the thief of joy. So not about it myself. Yeah. I I wouldn't necessarily say I'm like for bootlegs, but I think one thing that does, um, I, that I do find interesting about it is like, the reversal of what Sarah just said is that um, sometimes the performances feel more like raw or like, um, and that sort of element I appreciate versus like a planned filmed live musical where obviously it's been edited and cut together from like the best versions or whatever. Um, So I do enjoy that element of that sort of like in the moment raw feeling, but I also don't think it's necessarily like a, a fair, um, a fair expression to, to, to be out there. Um, I, I love hearing your answers side by side because I can see how your brains work so differently, but that they come together to form a beautiful partnership. Uh, what do you wish had been filmed? A uh, stage show wise. I would love to see she loves me actually filmed like as, as a movie musical, mm. because I just think it's such, I, I love the songs. I, I just love Bach and Harnick. Um, but I just think the whole uh, experience is kind of like a delicious little, like, like it just feels like a candy shop or something. It feels like just the most delightful treat and all the colors and the whimsicalness and the kind of like, I don't know. I think it would be really, it would be a, such a gorgeous little like visual feast, mm. I think. 
I'm going to go with Titanic. <gasps> yes, please. Because I would have just loved to have seen how they did that. Like, how did they do that? I wanted to see the, um, uh, I forget the name of the playhouse, somewhere down south, Serenby Playhouse. They did it on a real boat that sank in the river. And the making of video is bananas. And I just would love to have seen the whole production. But I love that show. I also mm. saw it down at Serenby. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty uh, exciting. Uh, yes, Unreal. love that show so much. Okay, final question. What would you like to see filmed in the future? Everything. <laughs> That's the thing that I feel like I think people are recognizing. And as an industry, as uh, a theater industry, um, I think there was this like, notion of like preciousness that surrounded the work for so long that like it can only be experienced in the theater and i'm i'm a firm believer that there's like no um substitution for that but it doesn't mean that it can't exist beyond um what we have deemed the like only possible way to experience because i think again um, the more accessible we can make art and theater, the more successful it's going to be as a whole. I think that's why, you know, cast recordings were so huge and effective is because it allowed people to revisit an experience or be introduced to shows or creatives or performers beyond having to go to New York and pay you know a hundred thousand dollars or whatever to <laughs> go see a shit. <laughs> so much money. <laughs> so much money. Your entire life savings. Kill this You know what I mean? I think I think everything moving forward should be filmed. I think we've seen how successful it is for shows to do that, and it doesn't subtract away from the magic that happens on stage. Um, it's its only good. Amen. <laughs> what he said. <laughs> Beautiful note to end on. Where can we find you online? www.mtshorts.com or on Instagram at MT underscore shorts or we're on Facebook empty shorts beautiful and i will have all of those links in the show notes greg and sarah thank you so much for your time today this has been a lot of fun oh my god it's been such a joy talking about musicals and film it's like what we live for so <laughs> yes. thank you for having us my pleasure. thanks for letting us nerd out Film Live Musicals makes musical theater more accessible, brings joy, and creates a sense of connection for audiences around the world. With thanks to patrons Josh Brandon, Elliot Charles, Rachel Esteban, Mercedes Esteban Lyons, James T. Lane, Al Monaco, David Negrin, Jesse Rabinowitz and Brenda Goodman, David and Catherine Rabinowitz, and Beck Twist for being a part of spreading the love of musical theater. If you would like to join, you can do so by becoming a Film Live Musicals patron. For as little as $3 a month, you'll receive early access to the Film Live Musicals podcast, early access to site content, and a weekly newsletter with info on upcoming streams. Visit patreon.com forward slash musicals on screen to learn more. 
You can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks for listening.